Bibles, you would have already read, put your hand up if you've already read Genesis chapter four this week. It was underwhelming, to be honest. How about I read it to you so we all are on the same page? Because I would love to say we all know the story, but you know, sometimes we don't know the story. Sometimes we don't know the story as well as we do. So today I'm gonna unpack this incredible account of sibling rivalry. And we're gonna look at what caused it and how we could navigate things better in the future. And and I'm gonna pray that my brother would get a revelation out of this. (laughs) I'm gonna pray we all get a revelation. I believe God's gonna speak. Is everyone ready for God to speak to them this morning? Okay, let me read to you. We're gonna read from Genesis 4. There is a lot of Scripture. And if you're a new and budding preacher, I would express to you, please don't do this. Because reading a lot of Scripture can sometimes seem really boring, but because how many people didn't put their hand up when I said, have you read Genesis 4? We're gonna read Genesis 4. Genesis 4 verse one, if you're following along, it says, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. If that's for me, just tell him I'm busy. Thanks so much. I don't know whose phone's ringing, but um, God will be talking this morning, but He probably won't call. So just, oh, that's so special. Hey, the way we get to just, we could just move on really, couldn't we? We don't need to highlight somebody whose phone just rang, but I just need to tell you that I have missed you for the last two weeks. And like, and on the, on the cruise ship and stuff with my family, they all know me and they won't let me do this. But I appreciate your, your joviality and your love for me. And you, okay, moving on, right. Oh, come on, Phil. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again. This time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the first fruits of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel's and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, you will be accepted. And if you do not well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Some sibling rivalry right there, isn't there? And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And when you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground and I shall be hidden from your face and shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. There is so much going on in this passage. If you haven't read it before today, can I encourage you to go home even this week and read it and read it again and read it slowly and dig into it and let the Spirit of God begin to speak to you. Because what I'm gonna share this morning is such a small portion of what I believe the Spirit of God wants to share with each person out of the Scriptures. You come to church on Sunday for me to whet your appetite, but that is not the meal per se. It's just hopefully the entree for you to go home and dig into the Scriptures and feed your spirit and starve your doubts to death. Firstly, I wanna lead off this morning with the obvious question. 
Who is going to kill him? There's Cain, there's Abel, and then somebody's gonna kill him. And Sam asked me through the week, who are the other people? So I, I wanna explain to you this morning, this is really an easy question to answer. Well, I think it's an easy question. First of all, Genesis is not written as a chronological record. Genesis is not a textbook. It is not a science book. It is not a forensic record. It is not, not there to spell out all the other details. It is telling you an account of two brothers. It is telling you an account of how sin influences our life. It is telling you an account of what happens when you allow sin to continue to influence your life. It is not telling you an account of everything else that has happened. By now, we know that in the next chapter, Adam has another son and they name him and they say his name is Seth. And it begins to talk about his lineage from that point. But Adam is 130. And if you've ever been a 20 year old man, you know there's a good chance that Adam has more than three children on the face of the earth. That was met with stunning silence. Thank you so much, I appreciate it. <coughs> so I wanna say to you, it's not, a, it's not a forensic record of everything that's going on that's going to try and we can follow through and then find fault with it. What it is, is it's telling you about these two brothers and telling you how sin influenced them in such a way that they caused one, was to, caused one to rise up and kill the other. Let me tell you this, if I was telling you a story this morning, about two cars that had a horrible collision down on Cusack Lane. And I began to tell you the incredible story of the two cars that had a horrible collision. Maybe it was a high speed crash. And the two cars had this incredible collision. I may go, one was a blue car and one was a red car. I may even go, one was a Ford and one was a Holden. But the story is about the collision. The story is not about whether one was a Ford Escort, I think 1971 model, and the other one was a Holden Barina, maybe 1984. It's not about that. And if I said then the police put up a roadblock and, and because of the collision, they had to divert traffic. I wouldn't be riding in on the first car they diverted was a Toyota Arion, I think it was green. And then the second car they diverted was a Mercedes SLE 3000. You know, I wouldn't tell you all that because it's not part of the story. And so in the same way, when you're reading the Scriptures, don't try and read them as a forensic record. It's not a forensic record. It's not gonna encompass all the detail. Otherwise, the 66 books of the Bible would be very, very big and very, very boring because Adam and Eve probably had more than a few children. And if they began to name them all, who's ever read the, who's ever read the genealogical record? Yeah. Who's ever read the book of Numbers? It's just talking about one tribe, like, you know, kind of like one generation of people. Who's ever read the book of Numbers? Come on, put your hand up. Who's ever got halfway through and thought, my gosh, this is dead set dull, right? So, so in the same way, when the author's telling you these stories, it's not telling you everything, it's telling you this bit that matters. So this morning, we're gonna zoom in on this bit that matters. That might help somebody answer the question and understand why is it only telling us? It's a, Genesis is called the book of beginnings. And I know the amazing Brett shared that with you the last couple of weeks. It's a book of beginnings. It tells the first accounts. It tells the origin story, the origin of the universe. It's not a scientific textbook. It doesn't tell you how DNA works. It doesn't tell you how all that works. It just tells you this is how it all started. And it goes on a bit further. It tells you this is how man and woman started. Adam and Eve, they were the first two people. And it tells you about the fall, the original fall. This is how that happened. She did something she wasn't meant to. This is how it happened. 
And then it goes on, it says, now I'm coming to a new story. It says Cain and Abel, they had two children, Cain and his brother Abel. And they go on a little bit further and they says, listen, this is what happens in this story. In this story, they both brought an offering. In this account, one offering was accepted and the other offering was rejected. One offering was fine. And then we could pause for a minute. We could ask, well, why, why was one offering accepted? And we could maybe speculate. You know, I've heard lots of speculation over the years. Well, one offering was accepted because it was a blood offering and the blood of the animals had to be spilt. And if you didn't offer a blood offering, it wasn't acceptable. Except when you come over to Leviticus and you realise in Leviticus, if you couldn't afford a cow, you, had, you could give a pigeon. And if you couldn't afford a pigeon, you could give grain. If you couldn't afford grain, you could give flour. Like it's not just about what was offered, okay? It's not just about the type of the offering. It, so, so that should release some people here. It's not just about the type of the offering. In fact, if you wanted to look at it, and I'm not gonna do it today for the sake of time, but if you were gonna dig into it a little bit, you would notice in verse three, we're gonna put it up. Verse three, it says, and in the process of time, everyone say in the process of time. <coughs> if you want to dig into that a little bit in the Hebrew, you would see the words in the process of time and in the process of time simply means at the end. And then we're gonna to go to verse four and we're gonna compare the two really quickly. It says, and Abel also brought of the firstborn. And if you were to look at that, you would see that it meant the first and the beginning. And so you start to see something that was going on. Abel brought the first Abel, in fact, Hebrews says that Abel's offering, Hebrews 11 verse four, says Abel also brought, Hebrews 11, says by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice and gain through which he obtained a witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts and through it, he being dead still speaks. But everyone say by faith. Okay. What, was the, what was the difference? Abel brought one by faith. He's, it starts with the heart. It's not about what he gave or how much he gave, or, but it was the heart motive. Abel brought it straight away. In other words, the first lamb that came out, Abel went, this is for God. I am given the, I'm, I'm not gonna wait and see how my, how my carving season goes and then decide which one, oh, this is a good breeder. I'm not gonna kill this. This one I'm gonna give to God. It's kind of the run to the litter. He took the first and the best and he went, this is for God. But when you read through Cain's offering, he says, in the process of time, at the end of the season, at the end of the harvest, when everything had been checked and accounted for and balanced out, he kind of went, you know what? Now that I've got everything sorted out for me, now I'll give God this. One was a leftover offering. You can check this out yourself. If you read through the Hebrews and you keep looking at the King James Plus version, you can read through the Hebrew, it opens it up and you'll see the language open up before you, but I'm just gonna move on real quick. So I wanna say one was by faith. One was that I get to give God an offering. And one thing I noticed that when we come to Christianity, we become Christians, generosity is a default position. You know, it, you have to be taught not to be generous. You have to be taught how to be stingy. You have to be taught, well, don't go giving that minister that much and don't, don't you be going giving to that... When you get saved, I mean radically saved, man, you just wanna give God the best. And when you follow along for a while and you get caught up in religion and it becomes a got to, you start working out what you got to give and what the littlest amount is. And, well, you know, I'm gonna hold this back and, 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 and I'm just gonna leave it there. I'm just gonna let that be on your consciences. 
I'm gonna say this, the next thing is it says, they both knew, they both knew whether they'd pleased God. I don't know whether God did a big cloud with a thumbs up, I don't think so. I don't think that's how God operates. I think they operated with a witness inside their spirit. I think Abel just knew, man, I've pleased God. My life is pleasing, my offering is pleasing. And I think Cain also, he kind of knew. He kind of knew. Can I tell you a story? I remember one time when I was stingy, really stingy, like terribly stingy. And I'd been working and I didn't have a lot of money. And I wanted to get my dad a, a gift, but I didn't want to spend a lot on him. And so I got this like medicine jar thing and I filled it up with black jelly beans and I sealed it and I thought it was a really cool gift to give dad for his birthday, like there you go, because they're your favourite black jelly beans, probably 30 cents worth of them. You know, my dad didn't have to say anything, I knew, man, I knew that that was wrong. I knew that wasn't honouring to him. I knew that wasn't the best. I was being stingy. My dad was gracious. He looked at that gift. He said, wow, Phil. He said, you know, I would have preferred you came and asked me to borrow some money to get me something. I would have preferred if you had got me something that actually had a bit of time and effort and thought that had gone into it. I'm starting to see why Jamie was a favourite brother. Anyway, moving on. I think there's an inner witness. And I'm not here to judge. You know, Luke, Luke 21 talks about Jesus watching the churches, the people putting their offering in. And he sees a widow putting in two mites. And he stops his disciples. He says, see that widow there? That one. He says, she's put in more than everybody else. And you know, you can almost see like, dude, she put in two mites. Like, you can almost pick them up off the ground. He can't, but you know. He said, no, no, no. Because all of these out of their abundance gave. She out of her lack gave. This one gave by faith. She trusts God more than she trusts money. She's taking a step of faith. That's got his attention. When it came to Cain and Abel, that got his attention. Now that's a part of the story, but that's not the whole story. So I'm gonna move on with there, okay? So everyone just shake that for a minute. Just do that. Come on, shake it off. Everyone. I'll just wait for Alex. Is that right? No, <laughs> You're shaking on the inside, brother, I've got it. Oh, it's good to be back. It's good to be back. So we're gonna go to the next part of the story, right? Because the next part of the story, God reveals something about the character and the nature of sin. The next part of the story, the next part of the account, God begins to personalise, He begins to personify sin. He begins to show how sin has access. He says, why, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? Why are you so angry about this? Why is your countenance fallen? You know, you, you wanna start letting sin into your life, start walking around grumbling about everything. Start walking around and finding fault and criticising. And I promise you, according to the Scripture, and can I just do it like that? Sin is crouching at your door. And its desire is for you. It's looking for an entrance into your life. And you walk around, you go, oh, my grumbling, my criticising doesn't affect me. It 100% does. It begins to give sin access to your life. It begins to bring sin to the door of your life. 
And I think so often when I see Christians and we're grumbling and complaining and criticising and, and just, just not trusting God, not just living in the joy of the Lord, sin begins to crouch. And so God says to him, He says, hey, listen, sin is crouching. Everyone say crouching. That's, a, that's an incredibly important point. Sin is crouching. Sin is crouching at your door. Why would sin be crouching down? I think it's because sin likes to come. It's okay. I'm not a big deal. You can let me in. It's okay. It's just a little thing. Just, just let me in a little bit. You're a bit angry with your brother. You're a bit upset. Just let me in. I'll, 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 just, I'll just sneak in. It's okay. I'll give you some skills and some tools, some keys. I'm going to get back up there because I've got a horrible room. I'm going to give you some stuff to, to help you here. But he crouches. And I want to play that out for you. Because Genesis is recording something incredibly important. And there's, like, there's so many things going on. There's, there's this story. And then within the story, there's their story. And then within their story, there's another the story. And then you pull back out again, you go within that story. It's a story against the backdrop of the Old and New Testament. But all of those stories have to, at some point, be evaluated and worked through and become your story. It's not written so you can go, hey, that was a good story, silly old Cain. What? That's not why he wrote it. He's writing it so you could understand sin is this critter. Sin becomes a noun in this story. The noun is a person, place or a thing, right? Sin is something and sin crouches at the door of your life. In fact, I'm gonna read from the book of James really quickly, if I can put that up, please, Beck. James 1 verse four says, but, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desire. What was, what was Cain's desire? I want, I want the accolades. I wanna be approved. I wanna be affirmed. I wanna be valued. I wanna be significant. And so there's this desire there. It says each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed and. Then when desire has conceived, everyone say conceived. It gives birth to sin. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Anyone seen a ginormous baby? They, all the women who've had children go, yes. No, I'm, but babies are small, right? Compared to what they grow into. Babies are small. Babies start small and innocuous compared to what they become. And desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin and sin when you nurture it and you feed it and you water it and you look after it, sin begins to grow. What starts crouching at your door when you give access begins to get a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And the Bible says that sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Sin, when he has fully grown, brings forth death. And so God says to Cain, you have a choice. You can deal with sin right now. Right now, sin is just crouching. Right now, sin is so small. 
Right now, sin hasn't come in. Right now, He's at the door. And He wants to come in and He wants to, His desire is to rule you, but you must master Him. Right now, you can master Him because He's small and He's knocking and He's saying, come on, let me, let me in. I remember when my kids were young and I'm not gonna go through all my kids' stories again because you've heard them. But you know, you, you get that little frustration, don't you? I don't know whether it's anybody else, just maybe silently nod. You get that little frustration and that little knock and, and it says, just let me in. You know, just, I can help sort this out. And you're like, yeah. And so he comes in and he says, just raise your voice. So you raise your voice and it works and he grows. He says, just next time, just front up a little bit more, maybe, maybe make a bit more of a noise. So you make a bit more of a noise. You front up and it works and he grows. You remember the, the old play, Feed Me Seymour? And you begin to feed it. You begin to act on what he mentions and what he whispers in the dark places. You begin to act on them and he grows and he grows. And eventually you're looking in the mirror like I was. You're looking at the man in the mirror and you're thinking, man, that is not who I want to be. I don't wanna speak to my children like that. I don't wanna speak to my wife like that. So I prayed the magic prayer and it all went away. <laughs> I wish. You know, sometimes, I love this, I heard it through the week. Sometimes we wanna pray ourselves out of a problem that we behaved ourselves into. Sometimes we wanna pray ourselves out of a problem that we behaved ourselves into. I wanna suggest that sin crouches at your door and its desire is for you. He wants to come in and ruin your marriage. He wants to come in and ruin your ministry. He wants to come in and ruin your parenting. His desire is to destroy your life. He has no love for you. He comes like a little critter knocking at the door. And God's word to you is to you must, you, you must master it. You must master it. Can, can I give you a contrast for a minute? I, I know I'm jumping around, I hope you're following. Can I, can I take you to, I, I've got this later down, but I'm jumping because I wanna go to this. Can I give you to, I just wanna contrast two things. Sin crouches, everyone say sin crouches. And His desire is for you, but you must master it. I wanna give you Revelations right now. Revelations 3 verse 20. Revelations 3 verse 20 is about Christ. I wanna give you a couple of pictures. Sin is at the beginning and Revelations is at the end. Sin starts the story and Revelation finishes the story. Sin comes crouching at your door and Jesus comes and He says in Revelations 3 verse 20, behold, come on, behold, I stand, behold, I stand. I'm not coming like a coward. I'm not coming to deceive you. I'm not coming to trick you and coerce you. Behold, I stand. I stand at the door with all my glory and all my splendour and who I am on display for all to see. I'm not trying to trick you or tempt you or do anything. I stand at your door and I knock. I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door to me, I will come in and I will eat with him 
that he will eat with me and we will commune together. Church, I believe, I believe that sin crouches at our door through criticisms and complaints and bitterness and hurts and frustrations and offences and a thousand myriads of ways that he comes and he crouches. And every day, every day you take up the cross, every day you have a choice whether you allow sin to influence or whether you say, Jesus, what, what would you say at this moment? Jesus, my kids are doing this. Jesus, my wife is doing this. Jesus, my boss is doing this. And sin says, I should handle it like ABC. But Jesus, how, how did you handle it? And I wanna hear your voice. And I wanna allow you to come in. I wanna give you access into my life. Jesus, I don't wanna be led by sin and the nature of sin. I wanna be led by you. And you stand at the door and I wanna open the door. I wanna hear your voice and open the door. And you know what? It's sometimes it's, it's counterintuitive, isn't it? Sometimes it's frustrating, right? When you're hurt, when you're feeling offended, when you're feeling like you got the short end of the stick, when you've got the sibling that's super annoying, okay? When you're at that point and sin comes and says, just smash him. And Christ comes. He says, why don't you forgive him? And Christ comes and he says, hey, you're bigger and you're better than that. And Christ comes. He says, your value isn't determined by whether your brother did the right thing or the wrong thing. Your value is determined by whether you do the right thing or the wrong thing. You know, sin comes and says, compare yourself to this person. And the way to fix it, you ready? Just get rid of them. The way to fix your marital problem, get rid of your partner. The way to fix your, your, your business problem, just get rid of your business. The way to fix your ministry problem, just get rid of the church. It'll fix it. But Jesus comes with a whole different message. Behold, I crouch and behold, I stand. And I think the challenge before us this morning, before I ask Jamie to come and lead us around the communion table, is to simply... Look at this scripture with a new light and to see the story become your story. And to ask yourself this morning, who or what are you letting into your life? Who is influencing the next chapter of your story? Who is influencing the next chapter of your story? Who's influencing your life? You know, one of the prayers you could pray, and I know Jamie possibly will lead us around communion, around another time of prayer, but I just want to finish with this and go, man, what would it be like if we were to just pray, Lord, I want to open the door to you. Even when it's counterintuitive, I'm going to open the door to you. God, I want to open the door to you even when it, when it doesn't feel good. I'm going to do it anyway. God, I, I know that your paths paths of righteousness and paths of peace. I know that your path is the right path. And so God, I'm gonna open my heart to you today. And I believe that when you begin to open the door to Jesus more and more and more and more, sin begins to lose ground 
in your life. And you begin to shut that door out. He becomes smaller and smaller and less significant and less influential. I'm not somebody who never gets angry anymore. I still do. But can I say, sin no longer has a hold on me the way it once did. My wife and my children would attest anger no longer has a hold on me the way it once did. Fear and frustration no longer have a hold on me the way they once did. Why? Because sin is crouching and Jesus is standing. And I know who I want to let into my life. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. We hope you enjoyed the service. We are praying for you and we will see you next week.